This week I'm going to look at the symptoms of idolatry. <clears throat> and the effects of idolatry. There's all through the Bible, even though the word idolatry is not there, you can tell that it's present in the narrative because of the language that's used in the text. So this morning we're going to look at that. Um, I'll just kind <clears> of <throat> go over a li- just a little bit of where what we looked at last week. That Greek word idololatria, the two from that's idolatry. From the two words, the, the compound idolon and latrio. Of course, we know that's idol, and then latrio is serve or to worship. And we we looked at that a lot last week. Um, now idolatry is trusting, serving, or giving worship to something that is not God. We were made to worship. We're made to serve. But oftentimes we'll find ourselves serving something that's not God, but yet we set it up in the place of God. We looked at Exodus 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, You shall have no gods before me. If you want to know who brought you out, God, he says, I brought you out. Remember that. I brought you out. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. In the future, we'll look at those Hebrew words there for car, carved image, Pesel, and then likeness, Tamanah. In the future, we'll look at, because, you know, all in, in that, in those two things there, is the image of God. And, and then the false things, okay? So later on, we'll look at that. That's why I kind of highlighted those words. But, you know, note, it's one of the, it's one of the, it's, it's the first thing that God's, that God brings to their attention. You shall have no gods before me. Have you ever been, have you ever been tempted to make an, make a carved image? I haven't. Evidently, it was very, Tempting to them. You know, the thing about it is, is, you know, Scripture's pretty clear that no one has ever seen God. How many of us want to see Him, though? We want to see something that brought us out of Egypt. And it didn't take long, did it? Till they made something. This golden calf. They they just couldn't they couldn't they couldn't stop themselves. Amazing, isn't it? Fixed fixed on what you can see. When the Bible teaches all the way through, it's the unseen that really really matters. But the, you know, well we'll look at it in a minute, but. Well, I'll get I'll get to that in a minute. Um, we also looked at Colossians three five. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth: fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Um, 
that word there, planacea, covetousness. And we talked about that last week. Play on and echo to have more is idolatry. So it's not just a an it's not just a, a, a idol or something you can physically see that you bow your, yourself to where you know where everybody can see. It's actually much deeper inwardly. It's not just the outward bowing to and serving an idol, but can be bowing one's heart and serving something in place of God. Jesus said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He also said in Matthew 5:27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, it's much deeper. It's much more than what you can see. It's, it's your motives to the depths of inside of you. You can fool others. You can even fool yourself. But you can never fool God. You can't go anywhere to hide from Him. He sees it all. And you know what? He's not surprised. He's not surprised. He knows man. He knows what's in man. You know, Jesus said He didn't entrust Himself to some because He knew what was in them. We looked at Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave her husband with her and he ate. We looked at that word there for desirable, hamad. And we looked at other places where that same word is. Um, and it's rendered a little differently. Um Let's, let's look at Genesis two nine. And out of the ground the Lord made Lord, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know, you know, by those two verses that they took of that fruit and they ate. It was desirable, it was pleasant. They coveted something that wasn't theirs. And we looked at last time in Psalm 19 that they should have desired or coveted the law of God. Did God give them a law? Yeah. Don't eat from that tree. It's pretty simple, straightforward. But, you know, once they did... Something happened. A lot of things happened, actually. One thing is it changed the way they saw things forever. They'll never see things again the way God intended for them to see it. Now they see all kinds of things, more things that are tempting more things that are desirable to lead them astray. They're not bad things. Everything God made was good, wasn't it? So it's the way they see things now. And many other many other senses change or differently. We looked also the same word Exodus twenty seventeen, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So last week we also talked about how love 
can be out of order. Our love can be out of order. The things we love are usually good things. Like our spouse, our kids, our house, our job, our church, our worship leader, our favorite Christian artist, our favorite evangelist, preacher, YouTube. Now there's even, you know, what they call uh, they're they're famous preachers. They travel everywhere, right? Everybody runs to see them. Is that is it? Are they good? Is it a bad thing? Can be if your love is out of order. We should love our kids. But if we love them more than God, they take His place in our hearts. The Bible tells us that we should work. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't. He won't eat. Temptation for many men, many people, I guess, is to love what they do too much. It's a good thing to work. God, after all, he told them to work, to serve, and keep the ground in the the Garden of Eden. You know, it it was there from the start. But if if you love that more than your family, there's trouble, right? It's out of order. We know that we know that God we should love God more than anything else. It's not that we should love all these things less, but that we should love God more. Right? We serve and worship that which we love the most. And if it's not God, He's jealous. And because of those things the wrath of God comes upon the world. And it's called, over and over throughout the scriptures, adultery. Who, after all, is in a a very good, loving relationship with a spouse would not be upset with adultery. Anyway, so so we can all relate to that and we can get a sense of how God feels when we love another. In the book, uh, Gregory Beale, his book, We Become What We Worship, he says, we resemble what we revere, either for the ruin or for restoration. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What do you revere? His theory is that you will resemble that. We're going to look at that this morning. What that is. Psalm 115 here. The heading. The futility of idols and the trustworthiness of God. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us. But to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is your God, their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver, silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. Sorry, I I forgot to switch the screens for you guys. They have hands, but they do not handle. 
Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. So we're going we're gonna to kind of look at these things in depth here. The Gentiles say, where is their God? The psalmist says that our God is in heaven. Idolaters desire to see God. So they make an idol that they can see. They place the trust and hope that, that should be to God toward their idol. The idol has eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear, noses that can't smell, and those who make them and everyone who trusts in them becomes like them. You know, a while back, um, I looked at, you can follow the word here all the way through the scriptures. We look at that, Shema. Here. And you know, from the beginning, like I said, when they ate from that tree, everything changed. Everything they saw was different. They knew good and evil. And then when God showed up, they heard something they never heard before. And they were scared. Their hearing changed. In the book, Identity and Idolatry by Richard Lance, he says the remainder, the reminder is made that Israel have a continuing sense of wandering in the wilderness and should not trust in and fear what they can see rather than in what they cannot see, namely in the God who created all that they can see. Everything is upside down naturally because of the fall. Exodus 32, verse 1, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that they should go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a, golden, a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, burnt, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who that brought you out of the land of Egypt. You remember God started the Ten Commandments off with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And here they are, already breaking those things, that commandment, right? 
And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that, I, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. One of the symptoms of idolatry is a stiff neck. Why would it be a stiff neck? Because those who make these idols will become like them. Does a calf not have a stiff neck? That's that word, cache, cache. Symbolically, in, in Richard Lentz's book, Identity and Idolatry, he says symbolically, the calf is to provide food for them. And now Moses requires the idol to make good on its promise. The people physically take the idol into themselves. Remember he ground that up, put it in the water and made them drink it. And from this point forward in Israel's history, acts of rebellion are characterized by appeal to the caste attributes. A stiff neck, a hard heart, Ears that cannot hear and eyes that cannot see. The sensory malfunction language often used in the Old Testament with reference to rebellion resonates from here in the Golden Calf episode. A dead idol is now imprinted in the living rebellions of the people. So we'll look at another Rendering of that word, kasha. In, in Nehemiah 9, verse 13, he says, You came down also on Mount Sinai, he's talking about God, and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst, and told them to go and to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. Remember we looked a few months ago when I was talking about hear? Shema. That word there is the same. Obey. They, didn't, they refused to hear. And they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to the bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. I want to pause right there because we must never forget that. We can't minimize our error either. None of us are good. You know, deep inside, the world will tell you something totally different. The world believes that we're all good. The Bible never says that. But the Bible doesn't leave you down low with no hope. 
God over and over and over is merciful. Especially when we wouldn't be. You know, when that guy pulls out in front of you when you're driving? You know, God's not like that. But God is just. He will not leave anything unpunished. If you go through your whole life with a hard heart and never open it to Him, you will see the justice of God. Verse 18, even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and works great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them day by day. Forty years. God was faithful. To lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. He fed them the whole time. You know, God feeds the whole planet every day. Not just man. All creatures. Anybody ever gripe about the grocery bill when you have kids? Imagine having feeding the whole planet. And he gave them water to water for their thirst out of a rock. Of course, you know, Paul says that rock was Christ. Um, for years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Amazing God. Amazing grace, right? <clears throat> so hardened. That's another symptom. Stiff neck, hard heart. So we'll look at another passage that we're very familiar with where that used, that word kashah is used. Exodus 7.3 And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Was Pharaoh's heart heart hard? Yes. And it was hardened. You know, the thing about God, you know, we we all want God to come. That could be very dangerous. You know, the word for glory in Hebrew is kavod. It also means heavy. God is weighty. And that same love with loving God, when He shows up, you may outstretch your arms and be waiting and and happy to see Him, but your neighbor is frightened and terrorized because he has a hard heart. And the closer God gets to you, the farther all that, the more intense all that becomes, the harder that heart becomes. And we see in Revelation where when God, you know, all these plagues are coming upon the earth and they still wouldn't repent of their deeds. 
And they wanted the rocks to fall on them. Anything to hide them from God. Imagine what the hard heart is like. And hell's a real place for those people. And the sad thing is, there's no chance after that, after this life. And that's not going to make them any softer. It's going to be, they're going to be harder. But you know what? Well, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to go to it yet because I don't want to mess it up. Um, another, another passage, you know, they're back there, it was hard in that same word there, and it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go. Stubborn. You think you think Pharaoh was an idolater? Yeah, he's a, to the extreme, right? Idolatry makes you your heart heart hard, makes you stubborn. Another symptom we're going to look at here, along with a hard heart, is ears that cannot hear and eyes that cannot see. In Isaiah 6, 9, God tells Isaiah, you remember he he had this experience, you know, he's, he, he's called up to heaven. He saw the throne of God and the cherubim. He's asking who will go. He says, here I am, send me. Um, and so God tells him, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. This order is coming from God. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. And keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, hard, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. It's an oracle from God. To stop the very thing that they need. Why? Because they're idolaters. Another passage in Isaiah 42:17. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images. Who say to the molded images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf, and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf but my messenger, whom I send? Who is blind as he who is perfect, as, and blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but you do not observe. Opening the ears, but he does not hear. You see that that theme is continuing on. Even though they're he's talking about a servant of God, this is happening to him. Why? Because his his love is out of order. He's serving or worshiping something anyone but the true God. You know, you can even worship yourself. You can serve yourself. And that's, you know, very natural to the carnal flesh.
You know, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up Matthew 13. <clears throat> I have I have here Matthew 13, 13, but, you know, I want to go back. the very first verse of Matthew 13. We're all familiar with the parable of the soils, but you know, I want to I want to read through it here. Um, you know, Jesus always had multitudes following him, and here uh, he got in a boat and sat, and, and uh, while they stood on the shore, verse three. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away, and some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why does he say that? Because not everybody has ears to hear. And we learn from this parable of this soil that the soils are, are people, the different soil types. The seed is the Word of God. It's being scattered. And it falls on all these different types of soil. But only 25% of that actually bears fruit. I don't know if you ever planted anything, but let me ask you this. Can, can the soil change anything about itself? Does it have the power to grow something? If it's the wayside, can it do anything on its own to change that? Or if it's in rocky ground or, or among thorns? doesn't have the power, does it? Verse 10, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. We just looked at that back in Isaiah. That some, he told them to see, but not perceive. To keep on hearing, but never understand. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. I need to pause right here, especially the last century and even 
more so, you know, the last few decades. You know, not really knowing it or maybe even having a plan for it. The church is real. You know, 25% is not good enough, is it? I mean, we all want everybody to be saved, right? So what can we do? I want to be careful here because what what I want you to see, though, is there's a trend. The goal has been about numbers for, for a long time. Doesn't matter how we do it, does it? As long as they walk the aisle. What's the best way to do it? Let's change the gospel a little bit. You know, if there's a door you're trying to get into that's locked and there's only one key and you don't have that key, and let's say God put that door there and that lock, will you ever open that door? There's one key that can open the door. And the scripture says that's the gospel. It's the gospel. What is the gospel? Depends on who you ask. Many today are preaching about the prosperity gospel. Is that the gospel? It's good news for the flesh. But can it change your soul? Can it keep your soul out of hell? No, but many people will flock to those kinds of meetings. Because it's all about numbers, isn't it? Because 25% is not good enough. Or maybe we should just give them half of what the gospel is. Just tell them that God is only a God of love. God loves you and has a plan for you. Is that the gospel? Part of it. Because we want them to be saved. Saved from what? From the wrath of God. Do they even know that there is such a thing? That's the other part of the gospel. It says if you if you don't if you haven't believed on him and trusted in him, you remain under the wrath of God. We're born into the wrath of God. Did you know that? Because we're born in the likeness of Adam. Anyway, what I'm saying is we've changed our presentation of getting people to come to God, we've made it attractive to the flesh. We've tricked them. We've sold them something that's not true. And as a result, they have no power over the flesh. They're not truly regenerate. Many of the people that do those things You look them up three months later, they're not in a church. They don't want to be at church. But I'm going to heaven. You know, I'm not trying to... It's a scary thing because these are all people we love. 
But don't you want to know the truth about what's really important about your soul and eternity? Don't you want to know the whole truth? And until you confront, until your idols are confronted with the gospel, you will not have the power over the flesh. And as a result, you'll be slaves to that forever. God demands every knee to bow. One way or another, you're going to bow. And we can all honor God with our lips. But everything everything else about us is far from Him. Anyway, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry. It, it it aggravates me that that people are more concerned about numbers and things that they can chalk up to what they have done than they are really about your soul. Be careful. It's the real deal. You know what? Tomorrow may not be there for all of us. I buried a two-and-a-half-year-old son. You never know. What is important about life? Getting your degree? Having a big retirement? All these things that we so greatly value... But if you really love those people around you, you tell them the gospel. It's the only thing that unlocks that door. Then they can see. Then they can truly hear. You ever tried to talk? You ever tried to share the the scriptures with somebody who's not a believer? You can't. You can't. They can't make sense of it. They're like that's foolish. They don't even want to listen. You break it out and they want to leave. Why? Because they can't see or hear it. Their heart is hard. Their neck's stiff. Hopefully you're not like that. If you are, God is gracious and merciful. Verse 15, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts. Hear with their ears, sorry. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. He goes on and on and talks about these different soils and what and what what happens there. <clears throat> Y'all give me five five, six minutes. John 8:42 says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come from of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You're not able 
to listen to my word. That word, able, is the word dunamis. You don't have the power to hear what I'm saying. You don't have what it takes. There's, no, there's, not, there's nothing you can do to get there until God opens that. You can't, you can't, you don't have the power to change it. You're of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Of course, we know he's talking to the, the religious leaders of the day. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. Because you're not of God, you do not hear. Because I tell the truth, he said, you do not believe. John, John 10:25 says, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay? Second Corinthians 2.14, there's another symptom noses that can't smell. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma that brings death. And to the other, an aroma that brings life. And who's equal to such a task? When the word of God goes forth, when the gospel goes out, to one it's a sweet smelling aroma. But to the other, it's a smell of death. We're a sinful and idolatrous people. The world will tell us how good we are. The Bible says the opposite. It says there's none good, no, not one. And Jesus said, there's none good but God. He also says, if, you're, if you, being evil, know how to good give, good give, good, give good gifts to your children... So there he says, you know, you're evil. Genesis 8.21 says that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? But the Bible says that when we were still powerless, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we were right. Or when we weren't evil, or when we were good, but we were wicked. Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Romans five six. That was Romans five six. This is the good news. Now I've been talking about this is the the gospel that Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. He who has an ear, let him hear. Right? To those who are perishing, that are not his sheep, this is foolishness. 
they're not able to listen to his word. If you cling to this good news, thank God that he chose you before the foundations of the world. Rejoice that you don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. And rejoice that when you get things out of order, you have a gracious God who poured out his justice on his son for you. So that you could be righteous before a holy God. If God didn't spare his own son for you, how much does he love you? How can you improve on that standing? You can't. Be thankful that he opened your ears and your eyes and softened your heart. But when you visit with some, like I was talking about earlier, who will not listen to the good news, it's because they're not able to. They can't. They can at that moment. Hopefully, one day they will. Hopefully, one day God will open their ears. It's a symptom of idolatry. Last verse here. Um, after Jesus was tested in the wilderness by the devil, and he went back home and went to the synagogue and. Picked up a scroll that is as customary for him to read. He opened it up to this passage in Isaiah, and he says, here in Luke 4, 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, was it to the poor that don't have anything and not the rich? It's not, it has nothing to do with the physical. But those who can't get who can't get that any other way. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Who are the prisoners? Those who are slaves to the devil. Slaves because of the fall. Slaves to sin. He proclaimed freedom. Are you free? And recovery of sight for the blind. Now, did he... Can everybody who's physically blind see because of what Christ did? No. It has nothing to do with physical sight. Although God can give sight... You know, Jesus did give sight to people, physical sight. Do you know what... If you if you if you tend only to the physical ailments of people, they're still going to die. And if all you do is give is do something to help that thing, it's just a band aid. It's not going to change anything that really matters eternally. It's the gospel that changes their soul and gives them everything they need for this life that really matters. And everything for the next life. He brought recovery of sight for the blind. And set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the tenant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. One of the greatest, one of the things that everybody, all the prophets and everybody longed to see and to hear was fulfilled in their hearing on that day. God came and delivered his promise. That he sent his son, who would be the suffering servant, to pay for the sins of the world. Have you leaned on him? Have you trusted in him? Because that's your only key. That's all that really matters. 
Go tell everybody you love. Don't withhold it anymore. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for opening our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Thank you for making us able, giving us the power. Now, Father, I pray that you will give us the ability, Lord, to spread this message. And I pray that it will fall on ears that hear. We thank you, Father, for the food we're about to receive and for the fellowship that we're going to partake of. It's all because of Christ that we, we can have these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.